Today is Friday, May 21st, 2021. Today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I will do what others can't. Jerry Rice. You're listening to episode 243, Create Your Dream Career with Claudia Miller. Yeah. You know, I was reading a stat that men, when they look at job description, they they only need to meet 60% of the qualifications to apply, whereas women need feel like they need to at least meet 85 to 90% of those qualifications. Yeah. And my belief is if you fit the job description to the T, 100%, you're overqualified. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to move to the next job to do it perfectly. You're supposed to do the next job in order to learn, to challenge yourself. There needs to be something you get to receive or get from that specific role. So it's like that 20, 30, 50, or 40% is what you get to learn from them, that you get to walk into that role. This is the dance of life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hope you're having a great Friday wherever you happen to be. Today we've got a special episode for you, especially if you are a career person. If you are looking to advance your career, we're going to be talking about all things career today. Claudia is a career and negotiation strategist, and she helps serious professionals secure dream jobs with dream salaries at their dream companies, including fast-growing startups, rockstar mid-sized companies, and Fortune 500 and tech giants like Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Some even receive salary increases of up to $50,000 in their work with Claudia. Business Insider selected her as one of the top most innovative career coaches of 2020, and her work has been featured in Forbes, MSNBC, Yahoo Finance, as well as other major news outlets. For those of you who have a career out there, anyway, if you don't, a lot of great principles in today's interview. We're going to be talking about how to write a great resume, ask for promotion, negotiate, improve your confidence, you know, create value in the workplace, advance. All these things are so important. I don't have a career, I haven't worked for somebody in a while, but you know, we all have a career to some degree. And I think some of these things are timeless, you know, they're timeless principles, you know, like for example, being confident or asking you know, for what you're worth. That's, that's a classic thing that everybody should be working on. I think working for what you don't, for what you're not worth is, uh, it's going to kill you. It's a lot of stress. So that's one of the things that we'll be talking about today, but especially if you have a career, great episode, you want to share it with anybody else in your life who's a career driven person who may be looking to advance their career who's been feeling stuck lately, having a hard time with a promotion or, you know, maybe wanting to switch careers. That's a, that's another great opportunity to share this with them. Also share Claudia. I know Claudia is an expert in this field. So if you are looking for somebody to help you advance your career, she's done some great things for people. You can check her out at ClaudiaTMiller.com spelled with two L's. And I'll put a link for it on the show notes for this episode. But uh, and that's going to be 243. That's the episode. 
So make sure you subscribe if you're first time listening today. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Love you guys. It's been a long journey, already three and a half years. Can't believe it. Here we go. Let's do this. Create your dream career with Claudia Miller. Yeah, anyway, no, I'm, I'm happy to have you on the show. I'm really excited because for me, I, I haven't had a career in a long, I mean, I don't know, it depends what you think of a career is, but I haven't worked for somebody uh, in the capacity of, of a career for a long time. So I'm really interested to be talking about some of this stuff because I haven't done, haven't had to do it in, <laughs> you know, in a long time. So I'm really interested where things have progressed. I mean, my last job was for like job, you know, quote unquote job uh, was for the Social Security Administration. You imagine, you know, (laughs) what I'm doing now and what I was doing then, totally (laughs) misaligned. But I was doing welfare claims and working in a cubicle and I hated my life, you know. But anyway, that was like 15 years ago, something like that. I mean, it was right. It was was a little while ago. So so you're living like the rock star life in comparison (laughs) to that. (laughs) I I mean, just you know, maybe not so many concerts, but at least, yeah, definitely some of it's rock star. I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy my freedom, but I think a lot of the things that we'll talk about are still relevant because there's, there's things that change and there's things that are timeless, you know, like, uh, knowing your worth, right. And being able to ask for, to get paid what you're worth and negotiating a salary like that, you know, that's a timeless skill to me. You should always have that skill, regardless of the time you find yourself in, you should always stand up for yourself for it. So anyway, I'm excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thanks thanks for for having me. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, you know, I think it's good because a lot of things have changed in the last year and a half. And people who are looking to sort of, you know, create a career and develop their career and, and do that whole side of things, a lot of things have changed about the world, right? I mean, there's a lot that's different today. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even strategies that I worked with clients before COVID are very different than, you know, what we're doing now. And even just the, the competition and the saturation in the market. Um, I mean, pre COVID for every job posting you south there, there's an average of 250 applicants. So, you know, technically you could be competing with 249 other people. Now it's like anywhere between 400 to 800, depending on the company. Um, and this excludes Google, Amazon, Facebook, and these big, you know, tech companies where everyone wants to work at, where they can get up to 1,800 to 2,000 applications per posting. Wow, that's insane. I mean, how do you even like stand out <laughs> in this situation yeah. like that? Well, I mean, like kind of like what's good is that people tend to do the same things. Um, And what I mean by that is, okay, so you see a job posting, you go on LinkedIn or Indeed, you look up the postings, you apply, maybe you hit the easy apply, and then you keep doing it until you start getting interviews and you do it over and over again. And I've even had clients that before working with me apply to over 300 jobs. Wow. And what that makes it very predictable. We understand what people are doing and how I help my clients is like, what can we do to differentiate? differentiate ourselves from what everyone else is doing. So I create specific strategies depending on their industry or where they're currently at and what they're trying to do to really make them stand out from the competition. Where, you know, my clients on average for every 10 jobs they apply to, they get anywhere between two to three interviews from that. Um, And even when it, 
when it comes to that, my clients get offered salaries even above what the salary range is. So for example, um, I just finished working with a client who was making 105,000 and she was applying for a data scientist job. Um, and we, they told her they could only pay her up to 145 and that was the maximum. Went through the interview process, they offered her 150. She wow. made a $45,000 salary increase and it was $5,000 more than the range. And that was even before we started negotiating. <laughs> so. That's incredible. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? What got you into it, really? I mean, I guess is the question. Were you always into, you know, helping people, especially with career choices? Or I would I would see it almost like a life purpose type of path. But what got you into doing what you're doing now? Yeah, so I've been doing this for five years. But for me, kind of learning what how the process and job searching overall, it's been over eight years since I've been doing it. Yeah. I first started um, for myself. I consider myself to be a very ambitious professional and, um, you know, I, I did everything you're supposed to do. I was a straight A student. I was in national honor society. I took extracurricular activities. I did, um, like internships, took different jobs and really tried, you know, to network and do all the right things. I went to college and I make a, like a full right scholarship. And I thought, all right, I'm set, like I'm set up to succeed. And when I graduated college, I had my friend, write my resume. Um, and she wasn't a professional resume writer. <laughs> so because of it, I didn't have any preparation. Um, I ended up getting a job where I was being underpaid and my peers are making, you know, 15, 20 K thousand dollars more than I was. And I was, you know, I was a good student as well. I'm like, why is it that I'm getting these results and they're getting different results? Um, and it was really more of like, what do I need to change in order to get there? And, mm -hmm. You know, I'm the first one in my family to graduate from high school, let alone college. And now I have a master's degree. So it was really hard for me to navigate the career space and even corporate America because I didn't have anyone to really guide me. So I had to do a lot of this research on my own. And, you know, what that looks like is I read a lot of books. I followed a lot of like influencers and bloggers around career coaching then I hired my career coach. Then I hired a resume writer. Um, I intended workshops and how to be better at networking. And I mean, I spent almost two to three years trying to figure this out on my own. Um, and it, I finally was able to, but it took me three years. I wish there was yeah. somebody could have said, Claudia, here it do is. This, You'll learn it in, <laughs> yeah. in, within 90 days. You have everything you need to know. And I'm like, great. <laughs> yeah. But I, it took me some time. And then finally, I started getting you know, over $30,000 in salary increases multiple times. Wow. I was handpicked by the CEO for special projects and leading a task force where I had less than a year of experience in that field. And uh, I was teaching and showing professionals I've been doing this for 18, 20 plus years. Um, I was delivering on the results. That's why I was, you know, handpicked and asked to lead this project. But all of a sudden I started noticing like, okay, Here's what I need to do to position myself as an expert. Here's what's really going to stand out. Here is the work that's really going to get visibility and it's going to really matter as opposed to these tasks which are just to-do tasks. So it's always knowing that difference. Um, and once I saw that for myself, I started helping my friends and then they started getting the results. Like I even had a friend where she hadn't even graduated college and she was already landed a job and was making 15, $20,000 more than her peers. And wow. they were being flexible with her and she can still finish schooling. Like she had one more year left. Um, so that's when I started like 
to check to see, will this work against other professionals in different fields and the different levels of experience and kept getting the same results. So um, that's when I started my business five years ago. And then since then, I've been helping career-driven professionals get the jobs they want at salaries they love. And I've helped them, you know, get even up to $50,000 in salary increases. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's really cool because I mean, ultimately the, you pointed to something very important when you, I mean, you did a lot of things, but one of the things that you mentioned was knowing what to focus on. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, I think that goes with anything, right? It's like, if I had taking action, I mean, to me, taking action is easy. That's the easy part. It's knowing what to take action on. That's the hard part. <laughs> you know, that's the part that kills you. And it just takes so much time because you literally are, the only thing you can do is trial and error and say, oh, that didn't work. All right. Throw some more spaghetti at the wall and hope it, hopefully it sticks. And so uh, you, you mentioned that focusing on knowing what to do versus what are the time wasters uh, or, you know, the things that aren't really worth it. So what, what were some of the things, I mean, cause that you had some pretty drastic changes considering, you know, a short amount of time. Right. And so what were some of the things that you changed about how you, I guess, did everything? Cause you were always ambitious. You were always a hard worker. I'm sure you were always good at what you did. You, you know, you never slacked, but obviously you did something differently in the methodology of how you went about it that sort of allowed that inner sort of skill and talent or whatever else, the, the qualities to shine and for people to see it. Cause that's really the thing. You may be talented, but nobody will see it. So it doesn't matter. So, so what did you do differently? What were some of the things that were different for you that allowed those results to happen? Yeah. I mean, along with like learning and implementing and trial and error, like you said, um, I did that in my own professional career when I was working um, but I think what really changed was my mindset. Um, I was no longer on the passenger seat. And I know it sounds cliche, like be on the driver's side and you know control your career. <laughs> yeah. But it's all of a sudden, I felt like my blindfold came off. And like, for example, I was almost creating the environment that I didn't want to be in. Mm. And here's an example, you know, like, when I was an intern in college, I you know used to be like a front desk or doing admin work um, while I was you know getting my bachelor's in economics and sociology. But I I've, even after graduating from college, I still kept looking for admin jobs, and I'm like, I don't want to be an admin, but yet I was applying to admin jobs, mm-hmm. and of course I was getting interviews for admin. So like these things, it's like, I tell clients, if you want to break into six figures or you want to break and start making 200, 300K, then start applying to jobs that are within what you're looking for. So for example, if, if I was, you know, I made it a goal that I wanted to hit six figures in the next five to six years, and I was able to do so. And what I started realizing is, well, I'm going to start applying to the next level up. I may not have all the skills, but I know how to learn and acquire those skills and be able to deliver on it and execute. At this point, like what I did is I didn't have to be an expert. I just needed to know how to get the results. And I applied to jobs. I was underqualified. I would say even one of my jobs, I probably qualified 30%. And I said, all the 70% I can learn. I applied to the job. I networked, I was referred, I got the job. I started reaching out to professionals who had been doing the job that I just got hired for, for like five years. 
And I just reached out to them on LinkedIn and said, Hey, can you tell me like, what, where should I focus on? What have been some of your biggest achievements? Mm. Can you tell me about a time? Like you did something and it was amazing. And whatever they told me, I implemented, executed and delivered. And I got, I didn't have to spend five years in that job to get results. I was able to do it within months. Um, so just doing that over and over again. And then I knew that when I needed to move to the next level, my salary needed to go along with it. So I wasn't looking at any jobs that paid less than what I was looking for. So if I was making 50 and I'm trying to get to 75, I'm not looking or applying to any jobs that pay less than that. So it was very focused and intentional. After I got the 75, applied to jobs and making over 100K again. And it's like some people feel that they can never, they feel like they're almost pigeonholed. Mm. And it's yes to a reason, but you don't have to stay there. You can rebrand yourself. A lot of those skills can be transferred into other types of roles. Start looking at the jobs that do fit what you're looking for and then take ownership of it. I had a boss where, you know, I was delivering on the results. Even the CEO had handpicked me for special projects and you know, I was like, I've done A, B, and C where you said um, what you were looking for. I'm looking, you know, for my next promotion, the next step, my next challenge. And his philosophy was, you know, you need to be in your role for like 10 years or so, five to 10 years until the person above you either promotes or gets another job or leaves. And that way we can move you up. I was in my role for 10, 15 years. So you should do the same. And yeah. So I mean, like, there's going to be people you're going to come across that they're going to have similar philosophies. And I didn't try to go against it. I just said, I totally understand. Thank you for that. Um, and, and I know, you know, what that looks like. And I just went to another company where they didn't have that philosophy. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay there and I didn't stay in complaint. I stayed there and I still did the work. I did the achievements. I networked and I got to the next job where it gave me a $30,000 sale increase. I was getting challenged and I got additional benefits and gave me a more of, you know, PTO that I was looking for at that time. So it's just making sure like, what do you want? What do you need to get there? And what you're currently doing, does it serve what you're trying to get to? Or do you need to go elsewhere? Well, so good. I mean, if anything, to me, it just shows how adaptable you've been and what adaptability looks like, you know, in the career setting, because I think a lot of people, like you said, pigeonhole themselves. And it's, it's something, you know, maybe you can share from your experience because you've worked with a lot of people in this setting. Like, why do people, you know, like, for example, let's say you're making, I don't know, 50,000, 60, whatever, some, some amount, right? And you say, well, you know, if you're applying for a new job, you're looking for sort of the same, like what you said with your admin jobs, you're just looking for more of the same because maybe you're afraid of success or maybe you're afraid of, you know, you think you're not worth that higher amount of some sort, you know, like what makes people take the risk and because a lot, like how should I phrase this? Like a lot of times I think what holds people back, especially people who are perfectionists and they judge themselves harshly is that they have to meet or exceed the qualifications of a job before applying for it. And if anything, I, I think what you just described is very important, which is that you don't need to do that. You just need to know where to find the results and how to create them, you know, and, and be able to take that risk. Otherwise you'll never move. If you wait to sort of qualify all of the needs for a job, by the time you do that, somebody else will come along and snatch it from you. Right? So, yeah. uh, so, I mean, how do you, help somebody with that fundamental problem because it's a mindset problem to me. You know, it's this idea that I'm not worth that extra 
whatever amount, or I wouldn't be able to do it, or, you know, all these different limiting beliefs that we have in our minds. But how do you overcome that so that they can take that risk and, and do what you just did, which I think is, is excellent. Um, I mean, I just help them reframe whatever mindset or belief they have. Yeah. You know, I was reading a stat that men, when they look at job description, they they only need to meet 60% of the qualifications to apply. Whereas women need feel like they need to at least meet 85 to 90% of those qualifications. Yeah. And my belief is if you fit the job description to the T 100%, you're overqualified. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to move to the next job to do it perfectly. You're supposed to do the next job in order to learn, to challenge yourself. There needs to be something you get to receive or get from that specific role. So it's like that 20, 30, 50, or 40% is what you get to learn from them, that you get to walk into that role. And even now from being on the other side where I've been on hiring committees, hired people, the job description is never a good indicator of the job you're going to be doing. Um, yeah. There are companies out there where, especially those bigger companies like Fortune 500, there's such a hierarchy just to update a job description. It It's going to take someone a lot of manpower. And honestly, hiring managers are so busy that they're not trying to you know, spend the next three to four weeks trying to update a job description and get it approved through a board and wait whenever they have this and there's just so much happening that they'll just say, just use the same job description you have on file. And then once I start interviewing, I'll start tailoring it for that specific job. So even job descriptions are not an indicator. And I, you know, I challenge anyone that wh- whatever job they're in, go back to your job description and then tell me how much does it match what you're currently doing now than what the job description says, mm-hmm. um, especially with COVID people have had to be adaptable and probably what they were doing pre-COVID is probably not the same thing they're doing now. Um, For example, I worked with marketing managers where beforehand they used to put events together, experiential um, um, experiences, selling the brand and product. And now they're like, we had to do a webinar. (laughs) That's, that's what (laughs) I do now because I can't, we can't meet at venues. So I've had to pivot um, what my strategies are and what I do from day to day. And, Again, job descriptions are not a true indicator. They're kind of a good pause. And it's I sometimes I see a really good description that does fit the actual responsibilities, but it's usually never the case. And your responsibilities will continue adding. So don't don't you don't feel have to fit the 100 percent to the job don't description. Don't get locked into it. Yeah. Exactly. So um what I would say though is if you fit 100 percent and you can say I have everything, apply to the next level up. You're overqualified. You need to move to the next step. That's such a great, such a great uh, philosophy. I love that, you know, because you're always a continual learner that way. You're always hungry and ready for something new rather than kind of boxing yourself in. And I think a lot of people make that mistake. I mean, I know I made that mistake back when, whatever, I was applying for jobs. You know, you kind of, you think, well, you know, you need to be qualified. So let me make sure I meet all, you know, all these qualifications and box yourself in. But it's, uh, you know, it's an ever growing process. And I think going up that ladder which was so perfectly described and how you kind of described your own journey is really about seeing where the opportunities are and taking the risks, you know, taking the the chance to go and go for it rather than waiting to be perfect. You know, it's so yeah. important. And just to give a little bit perspective too, and I'm happy to share is like before I was doing like business operations. Um, so I used to manage like the finances and operations for like the department. And I was making like 42,000. And I knew at the time, I'm like, I need to make at least 75,000. Like I'm not taking anything less. 
And I transitioned and pivoted into healthcare um, where I was able to make and land a $75,000 job. And, you know, so it's not impossible. So I feel like kind of to your point, what you said earlier, like what are things preventing people? You know, when I grew up, um, I came from humble beginnings. I thought me making 50,000, like I've made it. Um, you know, my mom worked as a beautician. So we weren't, you know, we were, like I said, I come from very humble beginnings. So to me, 50,000 was like, I've made it. Like I am, I can drive in a convertible and buy a brand new home at that point. Right. <laughs> um, and then the more I got to explore and kind of expand what my vision or what my bandwidth is, all I started realizing there are jobs paying 75,000. I don't need to be working for 80, 90 hours in order to make that much. Um, frankly, I know friends that um, and clients that are making 250 and you know they work eight to five and then they spend time with their families. The jobs are out there, just know that everything can be learned. Whether mm-hmm. they say, you know, we need someone that has Salesforce experience. Honestly, you can open up a free account with Salesforce, look up a YouTube video and you can learn within two to three hours. If you can learn TikTok or Instagram or all these other things, you can learn any system out there. Um, they make it user-friendly. And if it's not, it's probably something that may, is built in-house um, and everyone else is struggling with it. <laughs> so you're not the only one. Uh, but I, my philosophy is everything in life can be learned. So hmm. That's a great philosophy. I love that. Mm-hmm. Everything in life can be learned. That's cool. Exactly. Well, you brought up something really important, which I kind of, I guess is a more abstract question, but to me, it's like, how, how have careers changed? Obviously in the last year and a half, there's been a lot of change to how we do business, how we communicate all that stuff. But just overall, it seems like, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, for example, obviously before that, the whole idea was like, you know, I'm going to go to college for, you know, 10 years or whatever it is to get a nice degree, get a, then I'm going to sit down with a nice company. I'll be there for 20 years. And you know, there's these sort of these long timetables of success. And today, I, I just don't see that at all happening so much. I mean, I see it more as this di- dynamic, constantly changing, you know, fluctuating system. And so I'm really curious how, from your perspective, because you're really in this world, like how has the career world changed with all of these things? I mean, people, do people even stay with the company for 20 years anymore? Like what's, you know, how, what does that look like? What does that journey look like anymore? And and are there anything that's significant around sort of being successful? Because again, before all you just had to do is find a reputable company that you felt good about, you know, and that they felt good about you and you just hung out there for, you know, a long time. Now it's like, okay, you know, maybe you won't even end up doing what you're doing when you first graduated, you know, from your college. So anyway, what your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've had, I mean, I've worked with clients that um, they worked with the company for 15, 20 years, and now they're finding themselves like worried, are they going to get laid off? Or they've been told, hey, we're going to have to lay you off. And when I talk to them and talk about their achievements, I mean, they have really great achievements, but they've been with the company for 20 years. That means you've only learned specific systems and processes that are very similar in nature for 20 years. Um, And then when we're trying to, or they're trying to compete against a competitive marketplace where someone that's worked within three to five different companies within that timeframe, 
they've learned different processes, um, whether one person has like agile methodologies or someone does like the waterfall methodologies and somebody does project management. I mean, there's just a variety of processes out there that work and don't work and, you know, why it doesn't work. So that expertise really helps you stand out. So now I have to find very creative ways and it's a little bit harder when all they can say is, well, I've only worked within this company and only these types of clients. Whereas this person that they're going to be competing with, they've worked with eight different types of clients and they worked in different industries and in different types of environments. So it's helped. And also it tells them like, are they going to be good for change? Would they, are they going to come in and kind of like work in silos or be very um, stern with like, this is how we did at the previous company. And this is the only way I can do it. And like, that's some of the things that hiring managers think about when they see something for 20 years, like, you know, since then, like maybe the company isn't very reputable and it's not, you know, and the newest trends and technology. So a lot of things start stacking against you. Um, Mm. But I mean, it doesn't mean like it's impossible, but always be open to, you know, looking at other opportunities, you know, some of those um, top talent that gets sought after like by Google and Facebook, they typically change companies within two to three years because afterwards they they get the job done, they learn about the job, they get the job done, they get accomplishments, they they try to improve their job. My goal is when I tell my clients, when you step into a job, your job is to make that job better off than when you came in. So whether you're improving the processes, you're eliminating processes because maybe it takes seven days. Now you're trying to get it down to three days because you realize the other things are insignificant. Start looking at it that way. And at that point, once you started getting those achievements, then you start monitoring it. And then within that two to three year timeframe, it's time to go either move up to the next level or go somewhere else if your company won't do that for you or mm-hmm. if there's just any opportunities. And that's how you stay competitive. That's how you stay on top of things. Even if you're working at a company and they did so many things wrong, then you can go to the next company and say, I know you're trying to achieve A, B, and C, and I know what doesn't work. And I understand why it didn't work. And I want to be here in this role. And I'm confident that I can come in and bring the results you're looking for because I've already, or the company has done already things that didn't work out that I know what, why, and how to implement and get those results you're seeking for. So even that knowledge is very valuable to companies. Or if you're coming from a competitor, um, get more insights into how things are being worked. How are they done? So it's very important. Um, don't feel like you, ha- back then it used to work where companies used to you know, have employees for 20, 30 years. Now they're just looking at the books. Do we have enough operations? And now a lot of companies are going lean, which is good, but they don't try to, change the skill sets of their employees they just leave them off and say like all right we're gonna have three people do the job of 10 people and we're gonna call it this lean and they just let go of that talent um so really start focusing on like you know what are you trying to achieve and don't stay in the same job because your job won't promote you or there aren't any opportunities you have an option to go elsewhere as well is there like a sweet spot to stay in a job because i mean it's so interesting to me because Again, I mean, I haven't been in that world for a little while, but it's so interesting to see how it's changed into such a more dynamic thing where having sort of, you know, going through different jobs is a good thing because, you know, you're learning a lot and you're staying competitive. So I guess, is there a certain amount of time that you should stay in a job? Otherwise, you know, I guess it looks kind of flighty or, you know, what, where's the sweet spot between getting the experience and having that look good on your resume and also obviously teaching you something and 
sort of being there too long and becoming stale. Yeah. So a good rule of thumb is if you're a sole contributor, uh, meaning you don't have any teams that you manage, on average, it's two to three years that you should stay in that role. That should be enough time for you to get acclimated with the company and the position, make improvements, and then be there to kind of make it sure that it's working. Um, two to three years is a good time frame. Now, if you're a manager or director, the average is five years. And if you're an executive, it's expected for you to stay within that role for around 10 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Man, it's just so, I mean, again, to me, it's such an interesting thing because being self-employed, you know, obviously it's a different world, but now I see so many parallels because it, it really is becoming very individual focused, whether you're self-employed or whether you're, uh, you know, a career person, it, it seems like it's all kind of becoming the same in the sense of what type of life, you know, and skills you need. Like you need to be adaptable. You need to be able to, to brand yourself. And I love that you mentioned branding. Maybe you can, we can expand on that a little bit because Mm -hmm. even in a career situation, again, to me, I see things sort of all coming into one sort of theme, even though you're, whether your career or self-employed doesn't matter, you still need these skills of branding yourself, standing out, you know, uh, sort of developing all these different skill sets and managing your brand, quote unquote. And so what does that look like to you for a person who's creating a career? What does branding mean? Because I mean, I know what branding means to me as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. having a personal brand, you know, doing photo shoots and you know, <laughs> all these different cute things. But what does it mean to a, a career person who, you know, doesn't work for themselves, they have to represent the, the company in some form or fashion. So how do you incorporate branding into that? Yeah. So for clients, I tell them, Brand yourself for the jobs you want, not for the job you have. Mm. So that involves like, yeah, and I see this on LinkedIn. I think it's because it's a default. Um, if like LinkedIn headlines, I've seen people, for example, it would say Claudia Miller, um, I don't know, marketing manager at, you know, Target. And that's just what it comes across. Like that's your branding. So if you're trying to move to a director level position, I wouldn't consider you because you said you're a marketing manager. That doesn't sound very director level to me. So I'm going to pass you up and I'm going to focus on people that have positioned themselves for director level positions. So if you've never had a director level position, of course you don't want to lie, but you can say something like um, B2B marketing manager or marketing um, professional leader with 10 plus years of experience um, with a background and expertise in campaign management operations and um, building robust sales pipeline. All of a sudden, wow, that's you're very hired. different. You're <laughs> then, hired. That sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Then marketing manager. So start focusing on like, and if a good indicator to see like, how am I marketing myself out there? then I think there's a way to LinkedIn that says like keywords people typed up and your profile came up and it'll tell you kind of like the keywords that came up or if recruiters are reaching out to you for jobs you don't want, that's because you are branding yourselves for those specific jobs. So for example, I had a client tell me, you know, before we started working together, Claudia, I keep getting called for like sales jobs. I don't want a sales job. Like that's not something I want to do. I do account management. And I'm like, well, do you blame them on your LinkedIn? It literally says like you do cold calling, you do all of these. Like it sounds like a salesperson. So if you don't want those jobs, 
stop branding yourself like one, start rebranding yourself like as an account manager. And that includes having the right keywords, the positioning, what do you want to be known for? Like top three things. And I feel like when I see on LinkedIn, they either have like their job title as their headline, or they have no information on their experience section. So there's just, um, LinkedIn almost works like Google search. So Mm start targeting and being very intentional and focused on with your LinkedIn profile, because that is part of your branding along with your resume and your cover letter. It's so funny. I, I get, I don't use LinkedIn so much, but I get messages all the time from people pitching me for like, just, you know, coaching stuff, you know, but you know, I, I have, I think I've, I don't even know what I have on there to be honest with you. I think I put like, <laughs> you know, some kind of coaching thing, but I'll get messages from guys that, well, literally, I had to block a guy actually the other day because he he messaged me and he's like pitching me his thing to sort of join his coaching program. But it was just so inauthentic. And I'm like, okay, dude, I'm, I'm okay. And then, then I found out somehow he subscribed me to his email list. I was getting like automated emails. I'm like, dude, I'm blocking you. Like, <laughs> yeah, you see, these, but LinkedIn is interesting. I'm sure, you know, there's definitely a science to it. Uh, and if you... If you don't use LinkedIn too often, you know, besides LinkedIn, are there any other strategies? Obviously, LinkedIn is a big one because it's a professional network, but are there any other strategies besides LinkedIn that people can utilize to sort of do the branding that you're talking about? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if some of the listeners have heard, but there's also a job work called AngelList. And it's for, it has job, not to be confused with Angie's list, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody said, I don't know, Angie's list also provided job. <laughs> no, it's angel list. Um, and it's more for jobs like techs or startups. Um, and they're very transparent. They'll say like, we'll give you 5% equity. Um, but even the profile itself. So LinkedIn has a layer of ATS system. And just for some listeners out there, ATS is called applicant tracking system. And what it is, is it's an algorithm that looks for keywords in your resume and cover letter if you submitted one and your LinkedIn profile. And the more keywords it matches to the job posting, the higher score you get. And it's a Mm. score between zero and 100. So when you're clicking on that easy apply and you don't have an optimized LinkedIn and you have a generic resume, you're not gonna hear back from employers. And I have clients tell me, this easy apply even work? Like I applied to them and I never get back. And I was like, well, it's because you don't have an optimized LinkedIn. So you're losing on opportunities there. Your resume is very generic and you don't have enough keywords. Um, But there are other job boards like AngelList who work the same way. They have ATS embedded into it, whether you think it's a job board, but it's also part of your branding. That's how they're going to see you, whether recruiters look up for your hiring managers um, or people are looking for speakers for a panel, whatever that may be. Like all of that information gets um, sourced and it tries to, um, it pulls you up for different searches. So like, again, if you're marketing yourself as a manager, then you're going to be approached to management jobs and not those director level positions you're looking for. But at the end of the day, yeah. So I would say like for people out there that are looking to figure out, okay, so how do I brand myself for the jobs that I want? Well, start thinking about it. What kind of jobs do you want and what do you be known for? What are the top three skills people are looking for? And name a quick achievement that'll make you stand out from the competition. So for example, I'm kind of like that marketing manager role. You know, I am a B2B marketing manager, um, professional leader with 10 plus years of experience with a background in building sales pipeline, campaign management and operations um, for, I don't know, for healthcare companies. Um, 
experience working with $50 million accounts. Now, if I'm a $50 million account, I say, perfect. I know, you know, she has the expertise, like she just said it. And if we're a smaller company, then we know that she can bring those level, high level strategies into our smaller company. Whereas everyone is marketing themselves as marketing manager at blank company. Yeah. Just a job description, basically. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or job position, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The job title. That's interesting. That's so interesting because I mean, you're really, it's not even about, like you said, the job is always, the job description is always changing. So it's never accurate anyway. <laughs> so yeah. you might as well position yourself based on what you do and what you can bring, what value you can bring, right? That's basically what that is. Exactly. Um, a good resource that I have um, to recommend to your listeners is utilizing JobScan. It's free. If, and I think if you log in with LinkedIn, it gives you up to 15 scans a month. So you type in your job posting, you type in your resume, it'll scan and it'll mimic the applicant tracking system. So that system algorithm that I mentioned earlier, and it'll say, all right, you have these skills that we found in your resume and here's your score. And we did not see these skills. So probably should add it. Oh, interesting. So it, so it can kind of cross-reference it and, and give you an idea. That's interesting. Yeah. So people can customize and personalize their resume in less than 10 minutes with that tool. Um, but even to take it one step further, go into your LinkedIn profile and pull up your LinkedIn profile as well as this job scan window and look at all the keywords and it'll have, it'll differentiate between hard skills, soft skills, and other skills. Focus on the hard skills. That's what really matters. And it'll say like marketing manager, presentation, um, executive briefings, or whatever that is. Look at the hard skills, whatever you're missing, start adding it to your LinkedIn profile. The more jobs you apply and you do this, the more you're beefing up that LinkedIn profile and you're applying it for the roles you do want. So when recruiters or hiring managers are trying to find talent, now your LinkedIn profile will start being um, increased in rankings for those specific job titles because you're hitting on the exact same skills they're looking for. Mm. Wow, that's really cool. I wish that was around when I was applying for jobs way back then. (laughs) (laughs) It does make it easier. Uh, It's the most frustrating thing, isn't it though? I mean, it's just like you, you, like we talked earlier is applying for something and just not even hearing back because obviously the algorithm didn't pick you up, but that's really cool that people can do that. Yeah. I always say work with the system. Don't work against it. You know what it is. It's fine. Let's figure out how to get past it and move on to the next step. And there's other different ways you can um, utilize it, but don't, be that reason why you're not getting those interviews. What are some of the things that you've seen or I guess some of the biggest mistakes in resume writing that people make that prevent them um, from obviously selling <laughs> themselves? <laughs> I mean, I guess I've done hundreds of resumes, um, whether from entry level all the way to executive. And what comes across is resumes are too long, like two mm-hmm. to three. I even had somebody send me a four page resume. I always say like a good analogy to use is a resume is almost like if you're single, if you even online dated, it's like your online dating profile. You're not going to talk about every single relationship you were in, who was your ex, how long did that take? You will just want to get high level. Same thing. The goal of the resume is to get you the interview. That's it. Resume will not get you a job offer. So there's no need to put in four pages of your past experience, only what's relevant. The rest will be uh, during the interview. So I have clients like, well, I have 20 years of experience cloud. I can't fit everything in one page. Um, 
then my goal, my question is, do you want to get the job or not? Do you want to get that interview? Do you, if you want to write your biography, go write a book. If you want the interview, you need to have an intentional resume. People only spend six to eight seconds reading your resume. You don't want to have it to spend them flipping through pages. Like that is still, the clock starts ticking once they get their resume in their hand. So do you want them to like flip through the page and say like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed and I'm not even going to read this and toss it out. Or would you rather them spend one page and say, okay, I know this is traditional formatting. I know where to start, start with a summary and then bam, that'd be strong enough to get you the interview. So it's all about intention and understanding how people work. And that's kind of like walking you through that. So when I write resumes, it's very intentional to the point. The summary alone is strong enough to get you the interview. If they don't read anything else, that's fine because we've already maximized on that opportunity. And what I've seen is either people don't write an objective um, or they write an objective and it's vague. <laughs> so they'll say um, something like, um, driven, passionate, um, hardworking marketing manager uh, with 10 years experience. That's it. And then all of a sudden, you're kind of having the reader do the work, connect the dots. Why are you a good fit for this role? Why are you applying for this role? Why should we even interview you? So a tip I have is under summary, do it bullet points. People tend to read bullet points more than they read paragraphs, even if it's the same information. So put it in bullet point format, connect the dots for them. High level, kind of like what I mentioned, I'm a marketing professional leader, 10 plus years of experience um, with a background in A, B, and C with blank companies or industries. Then the second one can be something like, uh, my passion for problem solving has a you know has allowed me or has enabled me to thrive in fast paced industries and has resulted in um, driving sales pipeline of over $500 million in the past 10 years. And then now I'm looking to leverage my experience for blank role at Y company because I'm interested in, um, you know, pivoting from B2B to B2C um, and being able to be more closer to the customer. That alone, okay, $500 million of pipeline in 10 years. Well, this, now you're comparing it to the resume where it said, I'm a marketing professional and hardworking and creative and consider myself an entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> so, like, what is that? Yeah, what I'm like, I, what am I supposed to do with that? So now I have to read the resume and do all the hard work and connect the dots on why mm. you're a good candidate. I'm not going to spend that. Um, and the reason is hiring managers or HR people on average are hiring for anywhere between 40 to 80 roles. Wow. That could be sales, marketing, admin, custodian, sometimes technology, engineers, VPs. I mean, there's a long list. And for each right now, because of COVID, I would say, let's just say it's around four to 600 candidates. Let's just say 600 candidates times 40. That's a lot of resumes to go wow. through. So how can you make it easier for them? Do the hard work, do the heavy lift for them, connect with that and why are you a good fit? And it makes their jobs easier. That's honestly what it is. How do you make someone's job easy that makes you stand out? That's so interesting to me. You know, the thing that comes to me right now I, I always talk about how my experience as a professional dancer competing was teaching me a lot of things about life in terms of the competitive aspect of it. Because in competing, when you're competing in ballroom dancing, it's very subjective. You know, it's a very subjective sport. There's no finish line. Everybody's just on the floor flailing their arms. You know, <laughs> you hope to God that you get noticed and you get you make it to the next round. And one of the conversations that was always 
in my journey in that career and, and also training students how to compete and everybody else, you know, is learning what skills do you, and you, and I'm sure you can relate to this with different levels of interviews because for the really good jobs, you have more than one interview usually, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in a competitive situation, there's always sort of the, the obvious skills that get you noticed in the beginning. And then when you make it to the higher rounds, that's when you have more time to be more, you know, of the finesse and things like this. And a lot of times, even though somebody's qualified or would be great for the job, those, their skills aren't seen because they don't know when they need to be obvious and when they need to sort of show their finesse and all this type of thing. Like, for example, like when you're on the floor and again, to me, this is like hundred percent match to having resumes and, you know, applying to jobs and stuff. But when you're on the floor with, let's say, you know, 50 other people, everybody's got rhinestones on, everybody's super distracting, everybody's flailing their arms, spinning around as, you know, there's only eight judges on the floor and they have to pick, you know, 30 people from those, like who, who the hell are they going to pick? You know? So you have to be very obvious. You have to have costuming and there, you know, yep. get the, get the attention. You have to be the positioned on the floor. Effect. Oh my God. Even, even the lighting, we would even think about, okay, where do I need to stand and perform? Mm. Because the lighting on the floor, you know, the huge ass floor, there's lighting everywhere. And some spots on the floor are very dark. And so you just don't get seen, even though, you know, you're maybe better than eight of those couples, uh, you just don't get seen. And so there's so many elements to alignment of, of getting through those qualification rounds so that by the time you make it to the final, when you have six people on the floor and, you know, the whole, now there's time to actually look at you and see, okay, what's your quality like, you know, what, what kind of skills and technique do you have? And to me, that's just the same thing because these types of situations, they're not objective at all, you know, like to, to write a resume and to compete against, I don't know, 2000 people for the same job. It's not a, it's not an objective situation by any means. It's, it's totally subjective. I mean, most of it is really subjective because you're really trying to, you know, have the obvious components so that they can see you. And then by the time that they see you, then, you know, you have maybe a little, a second interview, a third interview, whatever, maybe you, you get a trial period of the job, whatever it is, that's when you actually have time to prove your worth and your technique and your skills. So it's so interesting that we confuse those two in the process. And we try to be very technical in the beginning when you need to be competitive and be obvious, like you said, make it easy for the person who's judging to make it obvious. You know, you just have to be obvious. That's, that's the thing. And so those are two different skill sets to me, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. I love yeah, yeah, I love that you brought that analogy. I love dancing. So I'm a big into salsa dancing and oh, really? Latin dancing. Yeah. I used <laughs> to compete perform since I was, um, I mean, I started dancing since I was like four, but okay. I competed and um, performed like in high school and in college. Um, yeah. Now I just do it for fun. Um, but imagine kind of same scenario, what you said, you're in a dance floor, there's 60, 80 couples, right? Or people. What if there was someone standing saying, by the way, I'm a really great dancer and I'm a hard worker. (laughs) And you're like, show me, don't tell me, show me. And I feel like some people are like, you know, I'm very good at marketing. Okay. So is all the 599 other applicants that I have, but show me. So I feel like that's also missing people's resume. They'll say, you know, something like, um, responsible for, um, daily op- responsible for operations, um, for the department, what operations. And, and it's yeah, different from mean? saying, you know, um, 
negotiated a 30% um, decrease in all vendor contracts and which you know, resulted in over 300,000 in savings for the company just within 12 months and was able to establish relationships and rapport with some of our big vendors that led to successful partnerships. Wow. Very different yeah, than very different. responsible for operations. So you need to show them and stop telling them. So hmm. kind of like to that point. <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, to me, it's all the same, really. It's just energy, right? I mean, everything is the same. When you realize that energy is everything, then I think you start to realize, that's what we said, I think, at the very beginning of the interview, which was, you know, it's about the timeless things. You know, you have to realize, show, you know, show, don't tell, right? I mean, that's just it's such a simple thing, but it's really not. Sometimes we get caught up in our head and we want to tell, 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 and you know, make sure that's, I think that goes for everything too. Like even entrepreneurs, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we have, especially for example, if you have a lot of things that you offer as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, to sell or to sort of work with people and figuring out, okay, like not over telling what you have to offer, you know, like, uh, that's been something that I've struggled with. I've helped other people with it too, which is, okay, you have five different things, but what, you know, where do you want people to take action on? You know, same thing with this. I mean, obviously in this case, you're looking to get hired, but it's really the same relationship. You're trying to be very intentional. I like to, I like to use the word intentional. I like that you use that uh, because it really is about being intentional. It's not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. Intentional will get action done. And that's really what matters. Yeah. I mean, one thing that even with my business, if I came here and said, yeah, this is everything that I do. And I'm a really hardworking career coach. And, you know, I try to be really connecting. You're like, all right, whatever. Now, if I say, yeah, I've helped clients get over $50,000 salary increases during COVID. You're like, wait, what? How did she do that? Well, who are these people? Well, who does she help? It just captures the attention differently than saying like, I'm a really hardworking career coach. So one thing like, um, a good tip that I use with my clients or, you know, for some you know listeners out there that may be writing their own resume, don't necessarily are ready or want to work with a professional is, um, and even with branding yourself, I always even ask myself questions. Like when you say something, always ask, so what? So you manage operations. So what? Well, the operations are what keeps the business going. So what? Well, you know, I, you know, typically like when I came in, they were losing money. Now I'm saving them money because I'm running this, like the operations really well. Okay, tell me more. But so what? How much did you save? Why is this important? Um, are you? Is, did you make the company profitable now? Like it, get, it helps you get deeper and closer and gets rid of the fluff, which I feel like a lot of people have in their resume. Just a lot of fluff. Just get rid of it. Focus on the so what and to the point. And that speaks to people more and they're able to um, understand more. And I always say, let's anchor people's imagination. When you say you increase sales by 10%, what if I'm thinking you that you were selling a thousand dollars and you increase it by dollar ten? Technically, like or a hundred and one thousand, you know, eleven hundred. Technically, that's ten percent. Are we talking about like a five million dollar number where yeah. you increase it by five percent? Now all of a sudden you increase it by five hundred thousand. So be mindful of who you know. You never know who's the person reading your resume, and you don't know what assumptions they're going to start making. So there are times you're going to have to anchor their imagination. I increase sales by ten percent on a five million dollar number. Now I, you're, it's not vague to That's me. Much bigger number. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe they're assuming you were doing it for a hundred thousand, and it's actually five million. That's a big difference. Hmm. Um, so control people's imagination by being specific. That's great. That's really good. 
You also mentioned networking too. I want to touch on that because networking, I think is such an important, I'll never forget again. I used that old job that I had 15 years ago for the social security administration. God, such a long time ago. It just feels like an eternity ago. Right. I mean, especially even like with everything that's happened, you just feel like what the hell, but uh, you know, it's when I got that job, I'll never forget. It was just me and this other guy and the other guy like knew a lot of the people in the office. And when I got the job, literally the first thing the person next to me asked me was, who did you sleep with to get this job? <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? I was just this young, you know, kid and kind of like, you know, what do you mean? And I learned, you know, I learned later what that meant, obviously, uh, you know, with the whole is a very exclusive office type situation. But, you know, I use that as stories like a little joke because, you know, networking is such a, an important aspect to kind of navigating. I mean, it's the same thing. If we go back to the dancing example that we were just talking about in the subjective world of competitive dancing, because there's no finish line. One of the things that a lot of people have, including myself that I had um, sort of a moral issue with, but again, it's very, it's very much the same issue in the career world. The issue was that a lot of the judges, actually all of them were all coaches too, you know? So basically what that meant was, you know, it was kind of a pay to play type of thing. Like if you got lessons with so-and-so, especially before the competition, you're going to get noticed. (laughs) I mean, that's plain and simple. You're going to get noticed unless you're like, you know, a thousand times better than all the other couples. If you're about the same as everybody else, then what really matters is if other people know you. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. And you can interpret that in, in any industry, not just dancing. And so, yep. you know, with, with this whole situation with career development, I'm really curious, you know, what networking has turned into, especially in the last year and a half with COVID and then sort of the, the digital age, right? I mean, we've been in the digital age for a while, but especially now with everybody on their computers, you know, what, what are some networking strategies? How do people network these days? You know, how do you, uh, how do you really network effectively and, and again, not be sleazy like all these guys that keep emailing you on LinkedIn <laughs> that have no networking skills, like no networking skills, man. I mean, it's like at least develop a relationship before you pitch me something, you know? So it's just to me, it's just common sense, but anyway, it's not so common. So what are some things, some strategies that are important in today's world for networking and, and how do you leverage that to be successful, to create the career that you want? Yeah, I definitely think networking is very important. Um, and what, how I show my clients to network and even for introverts, um, I've always, even pre COVID, I like to network virtually. I don't like attending networking events, even though I'm an extrovert, I just felt like, you know, you have to commute, (laughs) commute to a networking event. And I feel like most people at networking events are all looking for jobs. So they're like, Hey, so I'm, I've been unemployed. Are you hiring? And I'm like, what? So yeah. it's like everyone tossing out their business cards, like their subway coupons and yeah. wasn't very strategic. And then that's already like two hours. And then I still got to commute back. So that's already four to five hours. I'm big on like being very, um, background economics. So yeah. I have to be efficient. I don't want to spend five hours. So even then I was networking online through and LinkedIn, it makes it so easy. I can, you know, filter through people that went to my, um, college. So filter through people that went to college. And then, um, I mean, I transitioned from like education to find, well, actually from finance industry to education, to healthcare, all seamlessly. And that was all through my network 
So some people will say, well, I don't have a network or I'm, you know, I'm an introvert and I don't really like talking to people. You can email them. You don't have to talk to them. You can email them. Um, and even now you can send voice notes if you wanted to, um, mm. you know, re- re- keep recording until you feel comfortable. And then like, this isn't good enough to send out. Uh, but it's just identifying people in your network. You could even narrow it down to people that used to work at your previous companies or in the same organizations or the same major. And then just say like, hey, you know what? Um, I went to UIC, so University of Illinois at Chicago. So it would be like um, greetings from a UIC alumni as a subject head- heading. And then on the email, it would say, hi, Tudor. By the way, um, I, I came across your profile. I noticed that we both went to the same college or the same alma mater. Go Flames. You know, that was our mascot, unfortunately, <laughs> which is a flame. <laughs> You're like, Go Flames. By the way, I noticed that you used to work in Social Security and you were a um, like professional dancer as well. And I'm actually looking to break into that industry. Would you mind getting on a quick call with me for 20, 30 minutes to t- talk more about your expertise and your background? I would love to hear from you. Um, and I understand you're busy. So if you like, I can also email you these questions. Um, I look forward to hearing from you. Mm. And you're probably going to say like greetings from a UIC alumni, you like click on it. And then afterwards, like, oh, this person's trying to help. Like, they're not trying to say like, give me a job. It's just like, hey, I yeah. want to learn from you. I noticed that you've been doing this for years. I want to break into this industry. I love to get you on a question. If you're like, well, let me see if I can even help them or I'm too busy email me the questions and you can answer in your own time. It kind of does that. Now it's not going to happen hundred percent of the time, but at least from the stats that myself and my clients have received, it's anywhere between six to seven out of the 10 people will respond. And then two of those will respond in a year saying, sorry, I don't check my LinkedIn that much. I just saw your email. Do you still need help? Um, which is true. Kind of like you said, you don't really use LinkedIn as much, but just keeping that in mind. Um, and through there, I've been able to get, so I got featured in Business Insider four times with over a million views, got featured in Forbes. And it's all for me, networking people, LinkedIn, they didn't know me. I kind of got to the point and I was able to get on conversation with them and able to build that relationship. Um, I've also reached out to authors. So when I finish reading a book, I reach out to the author. If they don't respond to me, that's fine. Um, But if they do, even great and start building that relationship. So do it the way that suits you, but deliver, do network and follow up because very few people will, I mean, you can get an ask for a call and conversation or meeting, but very few people actually follow up. Um, And I'm sure you probably have come across that as well. Like, oh, you know, I'll reach out to you. This sounds great. Like, I would love to take you up on that. And you never hear from them. (laughs) So following up really makes you stand out. And all of a sudden that person's like, oh, that person implemented or actually took step on what I told them, followed up with me and got the results like I said they would. Um, Hmm. So those little things really stand out and make it feel more personalized. I think it's, you know, it's so important because what you said is really, really valuable about basically just being intentional with your networking. Cause I think a lot of times people, you know, myself included for a while, I thought that networking was just, okay, let me just get to know, get get somebody's business card and then call them up when I need a job. You know, That was <laughs> my idea of networking many years ago, but what you said was very, a very great model, which is, Hey, can I learn from you? I'm really curious from your expertise and you're not really, the person doesn't feel like you're trying to get anything from them that you're just curious and that you, that you can, you know, basically that they can serve you and without having to feel obligated, you know, cause a lot of times I think the biggest mistake, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen 
with networking, whether it's in person, I hate him. I've been to so many in-person events, you know, even for, like I said, for being an entrepreneur, it was just like, I'm like you, like I have to, like, for me, everything is about efficiency because time is, you never get it back. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, to go and waste five hours in a little pitch fest, everybody's just literally throwing their <laughs> business cards at you and saying, here, can I rent some space in your head? Like, okay, great. You know, what do you do? Oh, okay, great. Okay. And then we just move on. <laughs> it's just like, what the <laughs> hell? This is just totally stupid, you know? And so, uh, you know, it's just like, cause you, people enter those situations from a perspective of, you know, like scarcity, I guess, or what can I get? You know, what can I just need? I need to get a job. I need to get a job. Whereas when you, the kind of networking that you described was very valuable because it's more about educational, you know, it's more about, Hey, can I learn from you? And then you're very intentional about what you want to learn. And then you take those skills and then you go apply them and you go and network with somebody else. And then, so it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, there are introverts out there and just do it the way that you feel comfortable with. Um, and like I said, I, I love networking because I can do it in my pajamas in my bed yeah. and just start sending out these emails and say like, these are the people I really want to talk to. Um, and I think it really just helps. I mean, I networked and I mean, if you're a career professional, you should network, you know, for future opportunities, also network with people that are two, three levels above to learn about how they got there and how can you get there and maybe at a faster rate. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you learn the right way from the right people and execute, you can accelerate your career path. You don't have to take 10, 15 years like other people have. You can downsize it to five, seven years. Um, But it's really being able to understand that or reach out to other professionals in your same role and say like, hey, you know, I noticed that you're working on the same project or you're part of this, um, I don't know, like if it's like a hospital, you always get audited for something. Uh, It's just, you know, part of the nature of the business. But hey, I wanted to talk with you to talk about some strategies. And I also noticed that you're a UIC alumni. I would love to connect and see if there's any ways that we can help each other and start learning best practices. You don't have to be the expert. Talk to five different experts, take it in, see what you can apply in your business and execute. And then you're going to see those disproportionate results as of you trying to learn it on your own. Uh, with very limited resources. So I always say accelerate your results by leveraging other people. That's great. Love it. One more question for you, Claudia. What are you most grateful for today? I, I'm uh, right. I'm just grateful to be alive. Um, and that my husband, my family and I have been healthy. Um, unfortunately, my father, my dad just passed away in January and my um, wow. stepmom is in a coma. So honestly, just the gift of life um, today, I'm very grateful for. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Claudia. You know, the world is changing rapidly. And certainly uh, in the career environment, certain things are disappearing and other things are reappearing. But amongst that whole chatter, your ability to negotiate, to ask for what you deserve, to work hard, to give value to others, to respect your own value. These things are timeless, you know, to to communicate well. Like if you're writing a, a resume and understanding how to communicate your value to others, 
this is so important, you know, whether it's a resume or it's in a application for a job or you're starting your own business and trying to communicate your vision. The, the, the theme is communication, understanding how to communicate from the heart and be authentic and also ask for what you want. Those things are very important. And so I hope this episode has given you some practical tools, wherever you happen to be on the spectrum. If you're super career driven, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're just getting started, doesn't matter. I think there's a lot of great information in this. So make sure you share it with other people. If you know anybody in your life that would benefit from this particular episode, you can also check out Claudia at claudiatmiller.com. And I'll put a link for it on the show notes for this episode. It's episode 243. And let's not forget our quote from good old Jerry Rice. I love this quote. Today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I will do what others can't. What an appropriate quote for today's episode. You know, everything we want is on the other end of some kind of sacrifice. If you want a great circadian rhythm, you have to give up staying up late and going out. You know, it's all about freedom and discipline and balancing those two. This is the dance. That's the dance of life. It's between the two opposites all the time, in this case, freedom and discipline. And so it's important to remind ourselves why we do what we do so that we can do what others can't in the future, right? So getting to do what others can't involves doing what others won't do today and dealing with that and swallowing some of the burden of that. But that will reward you to be able to do what others can't do tomorrow, right? So I'll leave you with that. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you on Tuesday for a little Transformation Tuesday. And don't forget, until then, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, Stay connected at danceoflife.com.